Welcome to episode 34 of Flying Podcast. Just recently I was at the NEC in Birmingham for the flying show, so I took the opportunity uh, to have a chat with various people down there. First up was uh, Steve Bridgewater, who's the commercial director of Air Atlantic's Classic Flight. Now, Classic Flight do a superb job of keeping some classic old British aircraft in airworthy condition, uh, and they've recently opened uh, Airbase at Coventry Airport. Uh, Airbase is not so much a museum in the conventional sense, uh, but more a working hangar uh, that allows visitors to go and have a look around. In addition, they also offer pleasure flights in several of their old aircraft. Sounded like an interesting story to me, so for episode 34, I firstly asked Steve to explain the history of classic flight. Well, we have our ancestry in what most people know as Air Atlantique. Yeah. Um, we are technically the Air Atlantique classic flight, although we trade just as classic flight nowadays. Air Atlantique started as way back as 1969, and... Um, a chap called Mike Collett decided to, to form an aircraft importing business, and it grew very quickly from there. Um, we're perhaps best known for operating the DC-3 Dakota. Uh, at one stage, we had about nine or ten on the fleet. We were one of the world's biggest operators of the, of the Dakota. As, the, F, as the, the company grew, we ended up with lots of spin-offs. So we had Atlantic Reconnaissance and Atlantic Flight Training and Atlantic Cargo. And all the time we had these profitable aeroplanes. Um, companies, our chairman was buying exotic old aeroplanes that yep. needed saving, so things like Gloucester Meteors and the like. Um, he retired a few years ago, so he sold off all of those companies now to his staff. They're all management buyouts. So what we're left with now is what I call the boss's train set. <laughs> so um, we're, we've got an interesting hangar full of this eclectic mix of aeroplanes, ranging from 1930s drag-and-repeat biplanes through to a Canberra, and uh, we acquired a Nimrod earlier this year, so mm -hmm. we have no intention of keeping the Nimrod flying, it's just a big black hole that we would pour money into if we did yep. that, but yep. we do keep it alive. Well, the government couldn't afford to keep them flying, so... No, so, we, so we've got no <laughs> chance at all. <laughs> uh, so, now, where are you based? We're at Coventry Airport, yep. um, which is where we've been since about 1986. Um, we have looked at moving over the years. There's nowhere that really offers anything that Coventry can't. We're right on the motorway network, so... M1, M6, M69, M40, everything really leads you towards Coventry in the centre of the country. And um, the other thing is we've got various aeroplanes now which sadly won't fly again. Things like our Shackleton, the Nimrod, and mm -hmm. um, we've got a DC-6 which won't fly. So if we relocated anywhere else, the, just the, the exercise of moving those big airframes and, of course, all the infrastructure and everything yeah. that we've got, it's, it's, I think we're at Coventry for the, for the foreseeable future which is why this year we invested in what we call Airbase, which is our, uh, our visitor centre. Um, I hate the museum word, because you, you think museum and you think glass cabinets and mm -hmm. dusty exhibits, and yep. Airbase is very much a working hangar. So you, you come into our hangar, and although we've got a little rope barrier so that, uh, for the dreaded health and safety reasons, it's as near as you'll get to, to being in a working hangar today. So everything that's in there either flies or is being rebuilt to fly. So you can smell the fuel, you can smell the dope and the oil, and uh, it's a whole sensory experience that you don't get in a museum. Yep. You see people working on aeroplanes and people hammering metal, and you sniff the avgas, and it's, it's, it's a great, uh, particularly for kids, we, we, we find it's a, a big, big hit. And during the summer holidays, we, we've had um, campaigns on the local media for, for getting children, and we've got treasure trails and things like that. And to see kids' eyes when they walk in and they see these aeroplanes up close. Yeah. And they climb on board some because we are, we're very much a, a, a pleased touch. Although the aeroplanes fly, we, mm -hmm. we like to get you inside because we pleasure flying some of our aeroplanes as well. So you, you, you get very much hands-on. Great stuff. Uh, you're not open at the moment, are you? No, we open at Easter. We, we've just acquired a second hangar. So um, 
we're, we've closed over the winter period so that we can double the size of airbase ready for, for 2011. And we open, open at Easter next year with a bigger area um, and that will enable us to bring some of the aeroplanes that have been exhibited outside, our Canberras for example, which are lovely aeroplanes but they're huge aeroplanes, we can now bring inside. Um, one of the hangars will be used predominantly for maintenance and then hangar 7 which is the, the, the hangar that airbase is in at the moment will be very much more um, of a museum-y type environment so you'll be able to get up close to the aeroplanes a lot closer than you can at the moment because we won't have the restrictions of having maintenance because as soon as you do maintenance in a hangar it has to be approved for the purpose and therefore you have to have barriers between you and the people doing the work so by moving the maintenance into hangar 6 hangar 7 will therefore be a lot more accessible okay uh, so what sort of uh, events activities would you be having at airbase well it's been a very difficult year this year because, as you may know, Coventry Airport itself, the operators went bust just before Christmas, so yes, about a year ago. Yes. So it's been a very trying year. We've, we've, we've launched Airbase, but in terms of getting people on site and flying, um, we've not been able to do pleasure flying until August bank holiday. So in terms of, of forward planning events, this year just gone has been quite difficult. Now that we've got the infrastructure in place, and obviously with the exception of, of, of growing the, the visitor centre, our focus now for 2011 is to bring people through the doors with a variety of events. So we're talking to classic car clubs. We'd like to encourage fly-ins to Coventry. Um, so uh, for the first Sunday in the month, for example, it might be that, that we have a Yak fly-in or we have a de Havilland fly-in or anything like that. It's anything that can keep activity going at airbase, because as I said, our unique thing is that we're alive and it's a working hangar and a working airfield. So we find that people come because it's different. And every time you come, it's different to the previous time you came yep. because aeroplanes are in a different position mm -hmm. or something's flying that wasn't flying last time. So if we can have fly-ins and classic car shows and things like that there, then it, it gives you another reason to come back. Um, do you do things like photographic days where people can come and take pictures of the planes? Well, we do. We, we tend to do those during the winter. And we've got one on December the 11th, actually, yeah. which, is, which is our final event for this year. And it's what we call our night runs. So we, we drag out about eight or ten aeroplanes and we run them up under floodlights at night. So you imagine these big propeller discs yeah, lit up. And, yeah. and um, particularly the Venom. The, the, the Venom jet fighter is, is quite a spectacular aeroplane when it starts because yeah. it's got a, a cartridge start system. So you, you press the button inside, there's a big plume of smoke comes out the top, which, yeah. which is spectacular in itself. But if you happen to over-prime it, which our guys tend to do at the night run, you get a big sheet of flame out the back. Nice. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a really spectacular thing to see in the dark. Yeah. So uh, that's December the 11th, and um, we're looking forward to that. It's always cold, but it's always great, great fun. Excellent, great. Uh, of course, you do pleasure flights. We do. Um, again, we've got an eclectic mix of aeroplanes that you can fly on. Um, at the moment, we've got two Dragon Rapides. We've got a third on rebuild. So that's sort of the 1930s elegant side of flying. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got a de Havilland Dove, um, which was actually built for the Air Forces of Devon, and it was used by the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight as their squadron hack for, for many years. So that's painted up in Royal Air Force markings. And then we've got a 1950s Percival Prentice, um, which is a, an interesting aeroplane in itself. It's, that's for me, has a lot of sentimental value because I went to university in Coventry many moons ago and took a gap year afterwards and helped rebuild the Prentice. Yeah and I've been volunteering for the airline ever since. I never thought that 15 years down the line I'd be commercial director of it, but uh, <laughs> I guess it just proves that volunteering can lead somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the Prentice is interesting because it's, it's actually a six-seat aeroplane, um, although we only fly it with three passengers because it's only got 251 horsepower. <laughs> it's a big, a big over-engineered metal British aeroplane, yeah. so it, it, you know, it, it weighs quite a lot. How did it manage to get such a, a weedy engine? Well, <laughs> the, the rationale for... for 
for designing it for the Air Force is they wanted something that was economical to fly. Yeah. But rather than being a two-seat trainer, their thinking was that you could put other students in the back, so you had an instructor and a student in the front, with other students in the back leaning over his shoulder, learning from his mistakes so they didn't make the same mistakes. Yeah. Clearly, it wasn't a great success because you know, it's, uh, we joke in the, in the hangar that you may as well nail the airspeed indicator because it does everything at one, at one speed. You know, <laughs> 70, 70 knots does all. Yeah. Um, so we operate it with three passengers plus pilots. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting. Somebody said to me recently, if the aeroplane's that bad, why have you got one? And, and the, the simple answer is that, that nobody else has preserved one. It's yeah. not the sexiest of aeroplanes, but it's the only Prentice anywhere in the world that you can fly in. Yes. And it's still got sentimental value for those that trained on it. It did a great job as a navigation trainer, and it did a great job as a night flying trainer. If you see the aeroplane, it's got orange glass across the top of the canopy. And it's not a sunshade. What that is is they would issue student pilots with a set of goggles that had a tint to them, and that tint reacted with the orange glass to simulate flying in the dark. Yep. So it's an interesting aeroplane in various ways. And we've also got the chipmunk. We've um, just this year put the chipmunk on our AOC, our Air Operator's Certificate. So we're now the only company in the country that opera aerobatic flights in a chipmunk. You can go and do a trial flying lesson in a chipmunk, but... This is the only chipmunk which is registered as part of an airline anywhere in the country. So uh, we'll go up and give you a, a lazy barrel roll and a, a nice gentle loop and bring you back down safely. But it's a, a chipmunk, again, sentimental value for people. Mm -hmm. If you were in the air cadets of a certain yeah. era, then you yeah. flew the chipmunk. And we have a lot of people that come back into flight. Well, all of our aeroplanes. The, the Rapide is another one. That if you... Um, had your first flight, anything really from the 40s through to the 60s, chances are it may well have been on a repeat. That's flying to Jersey or even flying from a beach somewhere or a farmer's mm -hmm. field. And we have a lot of grandparents come in and bring their grandchildren because they want their grandchildren's first flight to be on the same aeroplane type that they flew on. Yeah. So the repeat is a, a really a nostalgic aeroplane. It's, a, it's, it's a strangely beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a bit of Art Deco elegance, yeah, really, isn't yeah. it? If you look at it, it's clearly been designed in the 30s, and it's clearly been designed by hand. Yeah. It's, it's what one man thought an aeroplane should look like, and it's, it, it's been drawn on pencil, on paper, yeah. and it's clearly not come out of a computer. So yeah. I think that's, that's where the beauty lies. I love yeah. the fact that the seat tops are the same shape as the wing, aren't yeah. they? Oh, yeah, it, it's just... <laughs> and if you look at that tail, the tailplane is de Havilland. You look yep. at anything right through from really the sort of DH4, DH9, yep. right through to the Mosquito, they've all got that characteristic um, butterfly uh, wing tail, uh, yep. tail shape. Yep. So, yeah, it's, uh, the, the repeat's a great aeroplane. Beautiful. Love to have a go in one. One day. <laughs> So your season starts in... Season starts at Easter, uh, Easter yeah, and um, we tend to fly through till about October. You don't really want to fly these aeroplanes in the winter. No. You know, it's, um, and also, I mean, we're, we're weather critical. You know, we're, we've got old aeroplanes, they don't handle crosswinds particularly well, so mm -hmm. um, we tend to operate from about sort of April through to, through to October. And uh, although we, you know, we, we are based at Air Base at Coventry Airport, we do take the aeroplanes on tour as well. Do you? Where do so, you get to? Well, last year we went as far north as Scotland, went up to Perth for the Perth Air Show and spent a couple of days up there in Perth and Dundee. Just um, for displaying or do you take people on flights? No, we, we, we take the aeroplanes on tour, so okay. um, we do pleasure flying. Um, we went up to, to Perth for the air show and pleasure, did some pleasure flying at the show. And then while we were there, we went over to Dundee for a few days and, and, and did some flying there. We go down to Shoreham, beautiful 1930s Art Deco wonderful, terminal. Wonderful. So what better than a repeat? Yeah. Um, we tend to look at about 15 to 20 locations. So one of the reasons we're at the flying show this weekend is to, um, to sell vouchers. So as a Christmas gift idea, mm -hmm. you can buy a voucher which enables you to fly in our aeroplane. Of course, 
it doesn't matter whereabouts you are in the country, will be somewhere near you during 2011. Right, so you could fly in the Rapides? The Rapides, the Percival, the, the Percival Prentice, Prentice, the Dove and the Chipmunk. And moving into 2011, we're hoping our Proctor will be ready as well. Um, a 1940s Percival Proctor 5. So again, that will be the only one in the world which is capable of taking passengers. Okay, could you have a party on one of these things? Um, you could do. Um, there's not that much room on them. <laughs> the, um, the restriction we have is that um, we have a, an A to A AOC. So in the old days, we used to be able to take people, for example, from Coventry to Duxford for the air show. Yep. It's not viable for, ha for us to have that with the size of aeroplanes that we have now. You may know that we have the DC-3 for a long time. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, everybody that comes up to the stand, and I'm sure it'll be the same this weekend, wants to know when, we, when they can get back in a DC-3 again. Yeah. We did stop flying in 2008, and uh, it was due to uh, legislation changes. Um, the issue we had at the time is nobody knew what those changes were going to be. It was a typical Europe, really, that we knew there were changes. We knew that we would have to do modifications to the aeroplane, but we didn't know what. Yep. There was talk of putting armoured doors on the cockpit. There was talks of putting inflatable chutes on the doors. Yep. All sorts of things, which mm -hmm. in the end didn't come true. We still need to modify the aeroplane. And we need to put lights on the cabin floor, and we need to put lights on the overwing exits. But the main problem now is a paperwork cost. We need an air operator's certificate to fly passengers. We've got one of those that covers us for our two repeats and the Dove and the Prentice and the Chipmunk. So five aeroplanes, and it costs us £1,000 a year. If you put a DC-3 Dakota on, because it's a bigger aeroplane, it falls into the next weight and size bracket. So we don't pay £1,000 a year. We pay £18,000 a year. Now, that's a lot of pleasure flying. Yep. And we can't justify that mm -hmm. cost. So... When we, we used to take people to air shows, was in a big aeroplane like the DC-3. So to have an A to B AOC, so we would take you to Duxford, was viable. Yep. But to do that with an eight-seat repeat, we'd have to charge so much money per seat that nobody would want to fly. So nowadays, we just fly you from Coventry and back into Coventry, round Warwick Castle, something like that. Or if we go to Shoreham, we'll take you from Shoreham, out down Brighton, round the pier, and then back into Shoreham again. So it's A to A flights now. Okay. What are the sort of problems with associated with flying aircraft, they're, they're what, like 70 years old, some of them? Yeah, um, perhaps not what you might think. Um, spares availability for things like the Rapide is, is quite good. There are a few of them around, um, and they're relatively simple. So you can, if you can't get a replacement, chances are you can repair the bit that you need. Yep. Um, it's more a case of skills. Um, you know, these aeroplanes are made predominantly from wood. Um, they're covered in fabric. Some of our aeroplanes have got radial engines. The average engineer coming out of, co out of college now can work on a composite aeroplane and can work on a turbine engine or, mm -hmm. or maybe a Rotax or whatever it happens to be. But if you ask somebody to go and look at that nine-cylinder, obviously on a D's radial engine, steam comes out of their ears. Or if you ask somebody to make, do fabric work or woodwork. Mm -hmm. So the biggest problem we have is finding people to work on the aeroplanes that have got the right skill set and surprisingly finding people to fly them. Lots of people want to fly our aeroplanes, yes. but not those that have got multi-engine tailwheel time. And that's, mm. that's a real skill now which is difficult to acquire. Um, and the same as the jets. We've, we've, we've got um, two Venoms, we've got a Vampire, we've got a Gloucester Meteor, we've got a, a, a Meteor Night Fighter, which although it's got two seats, is only single control. And um, the Meteor, as I'm sure you, you may well know, has a, a bad reputation for asymmetric flying. If you lose an engine, it's, it's, a, it's a, a real beast to get back on the ground. So, in their wisdom, the CIA have, have decreed that the only people that can fly the Meteor are those that can already fly it. In other words, we can't train anybody new on type. Okay. So that's a limit. Right. Uh, at the moment, I've got one pilot, 
that can fly that meteor for me, a chap called Dan Griffiths, who's a very well-known warbird pilot. Um, I had Stan Hodgkins flying the aeroplane last year. Um, Stan phoned me up, he's in his 70s now, and he said, I don't want to be flying jets in my 70s, and that's an understandable decision. And, Fair enough. Um, but it's left us now with one pilot. So we have actually gone through the, the process now of rebuilding a two-seat Meteor, a Meteor T7. And we've joined forces with a group called Meteor Flight, who started off at Yatesbury, they're now at Kemble, and we've put the funding in to complete the restoration of this Gloucester Meteor T7. Yes, it will be a great airshow aeroplane, but for us it's vital, because without that twin-stick, twin-seat Meteor, mm -hmm. we don't have any more Meteor pilots. Yep. So we need to put that aeroplane, when it flies, which could be any day now, it, it, it's doing taxi trials, hopefully this week, um, as soon as that's airworthy, we've got to put it on the training regime because we need Meteor pilots. We lost airshow bookings this year for the Meteor because our one pilot was away doing something else. You know, Dan is a test pilot; he's in great demand, and if you don't get your don't you get your request in early enough, then you don't you don't book him. Yeah. So it's not perhaps the the restrictions that you think. Spares availability is okay. Um, it's more a case of getting pilots, getting engineers, and. Um, it's something that we're, we're actively working on at Classic Flight. You need a variety of skills as well, don't you, with the, every type of engine you've got, every type of well, airframe structure? That, that's right. You know, we, we've got wooden fabric biplanes mm -hmm. through to, we've got a Canberra, you know, we, we've got a, which I suppose is technically a privately owned jet-powered nuclear bomber, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. um, that aeroplane is grounded at the moment because it's blown an engine. We lost an engine 18 months ago, um, start of the takeoff roll. Um, it took up some fog through the intake, and the engine is completely destroyed. Um, I said that spares availability is quite good for things like the Rapide. Spares availability for the Canberra is not so good. Um, we need a Rolls-Royce Avon Type 109. If anybody knows where there is a <laughs> Rolls-Royce Avon Type 109 with paperwork yep. that's been stored in the right conditions, we'd love to hear, because we are looking all over the world. We've tried India, where they, they, they operated the cameras with the Indian Air Force, to no avail. There is a company in America that um, has two cameras and has spares holding. And they've gone into Chapter 11 bankruptcy, so we're negotiating now to try and acquire what we need from there. But it looks like they will only sell it as a going concern, so we might yeah. have to buy two cameras and 23 engines to get the one engine we need <laughs> to put our aeroplane <laughs> back in the air. Do you fly yourself, Steve? I do. I'm a private pilot. Um, I have an MPPL. I've got a very minor heart condition, which meant that I, I can't get a, a, a full medical. I've actually got my class two now. Mm -hmm. Jumped through all the necessary hoops with ECGs and treadmill ECGs and yep. ultrasounds of the heart. Um, I've just not got round to upgrading the MPPL to a PPL. And at the moment, I don't see any particular reason why I need to, especially now we can, you can fly to France now on an MPPL. Yep. Um, I started off flying a few years ago. I was, I'm formerly deputy editor at Today's Pilot, and I worked at Pilot for a year, and I was launch editor on Go Flying. So my background's aviation journalism. So I've always been spoilt with aeroplanes to go and fly. And um, I've done the Dawn to Dust competition three times. And we, we tried to fly it fourth time this year, but got weathered out. We were uh, using the aircraft of the Classic Flight as our theme this year, yeah. um, flying a, a, a Robin 200. And uh, the plan was to launch out of Coventry and go right the way up to um, Kinloss in the north of Scotland via Edinburgh because we were trying to find airfields where the classic flight aeroplanes had been based at during their career mm -hmm. and because we'd just bought a Nimrod we wanted to go to Kinloss. So uh, on the second attempt, because we had an instrument failure on the first launch attempt, we, we postponed for 48 hours, launched again, 
got just about 10 miles north of Carlisle and the Pennines came up and the cloud came down and uh, without an instrument rating mm -hmm. uh, I did a swift 180 put it down at Carlisle and spent 25 hours on the ground at Carlisle Airport <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah um, so, um, we, so we've abandoned Daunted Us for this year but we'll look to do it again next year so yes yeah. I do fly I to fly as much as I can which same as everybody is not as, not as often as I'd like to but, can um, you get any stick time in your aircraft um, I've, I've done some um, work in the chipmunk yep. Um it's a case of these aeroplanes are so expensive to fly that I would rather, with my commercial hat on, mm -hmm. have somebody training in the aeroplane that's actually going to make money for me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I will never go to class one medical, so I know that I can't fly for hire and reward. So as much as I'd like to jump in these aeroplanes and fly them, it doesn't make economic sense. Yeah. It makes sense to me, but to the company, it doesn't make economic sense. Yeah. Um, so no, it's, um, it's it's a nice luxury when it happens, but um, I tend to, uh, to to arrive by road and, and run the ground side of things. Right. Uh, you are technically a not-for-profit organisation, is that correct? Yeah, we are. Um, we're not-for-profit. We we um, we make a little bit of money from our pleasure flying. Um, so at seventy-five pounds a seat on the aeroplanes brings in a little bit of money, but of course then you've got to take off the expense of operating the aeroplane, yeah. um, and then you've got aeroplanes like the Venom which you've got one seat and a big thirsty very early technology jet engine so every time they press the button and start that it loses money hand over fist mm -hmm. so the small amount of money we make from pleasure flying offsets the massive losses we make from flying the airshow aeroplanes and that's one of the reasons we opened airbase was to bring a little bit of income in through there it's only four pounds a head to come in but it gets the aeroplanes known it gets them uh, people come in hopefully they'll buy a beef burger and a cup of tea and maybe even go pleasure flying so yeah. it's a way of, of exposing people to the aeroplanes as much as possible we've got the classic flight club as well so people can join and support the aeroplanes that they like um, our membership starts at just three pounds a month on a standing order obviously we'd, we'd like more than that but we we anything from three pounds up is more than welcome and any donation more than £5 a month, you can tell us which aeroplane you want to benefit from your generosity. So mm -hmm. if you're a particular fan of the Avro Anson or the Gloucester Meteor yep. or the Twin Pioneer, which is another saga in itself because our Twin yep. Pioneer is not flying this year as much as we'd like to. We're uh, having to replace wing struts on the aeroplane. So our members dig as deep as they want to, deep, or to, to dig as far as they feel they can do. Mm -hmm. And, and keep the aeroplanes going. And we've got gold members as well who pay £45 a month. And the perk of being a gold member of the club is that when we take one of our two-seat jets to an air show, if we've got a spare seat, we invite our gold members to come with us. That's £45 so pounds a that's month. That's £45 pounds a month. Money well spent, eh? Well, it is if you ever want to fly in a Gloucester Meteor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or a Vampire. Yep. Or, um, or a Jet Provost. Or, ultimately, the Canberra. If we can get an engine for it, it's yep. got two seats, so it falls into our category for the gold members. What a Christmas present for somebody. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's um, jet flying is something which which is always seen as for the elite, for the for the military, and for those that have got lots of money. And uh, what we try and do with our gold members is get them flying as often as possible. And it's, uh, you know, I think we um, we have air smiles when we, we bring our gold <laughs> members <smiles>. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. That's great. Well, uh, I'm sure people should get along to your website and see how they can support you in some way. Yeah, we've we've got two websites. We've got classicflight.com which looks after the pleasure flying side of things. And then we've got classicflightclub.com where people can join and support the organisation and take a, a very active role. The one thing that um, I'm very keen for our Classic Flight Club members to do is get involved. And we've got a great social scene now where a lot of people 
uh, come along to Airbase as members, they get to know other members, and we, we have great events, and uh, I get some fairly regular banter by email from them. Mostly polite. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, Lee. Nice to see you. Steve Bridgewater of Classic Flight. I'm definitely going to pay my visit next year. Sounds great. And I recommend uh, all of you that have an interest in keeping some venerable old aircraft in flying condition to go along yourselves. Remember, though, to uh, check out the website for details of when they're open. Uh, I seem to remember Steve saying they're not open now until uh, next Easter. That's Easter 2011. Uh, the website can be found at www.classicflight.com. That's classicflight, all one word, dot com. Vouchers for pleasure flights in their de Havilland and Percival aircraft sound like a great idea for uh, Christmas and birthday presents as well. Well, that's it for episode 34 of Flying Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcasts, please spread the word. Maybe leave a comment on your favourite forum or on iTunes. Your support is, of course, most welcome. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email, email me on the usual address, which is steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon.